But if they are different from the environment, the culture that they are in, there is definitely, of course, the possibility of some form of persecution, of some form of discomfort. But there is also the possibility that they will be completely accepted for exactly who they are and how they express themselves. And with that, be able to save themselves 40 years of therapy and self-help books trying to figure out how to express themselves, you know, and how to get back to exactly who they are. I'm Sarah Kearns and welcome to the podcast. This is a safe space to discuss the topics affecting everyday families. Let's take an inside look into our own realities and the realities of others. We'll learn together as knowledge creates empathy. Empathy shapes the way that we act and those actions can change our family and those around us. This is The Conscious Project. Scott Stewart is a best-selling children's book author who is committed to creating content that empowers kids. His books have appeared on numerous bestseller lists as well as being shortlisted for Children's Book of the Year and Picture Book of the Year. He is dad to eight-year-old Colin and I'm in awe of how he is managing to redefine masculinity, redefine what it means to be a man and crushing gender stereotypes along the way. His book, My Shadow is Pink, created the most touching moment for me this week and I shared that with Scott today. I learnt so much and I know you will all take something away from this episode. Hi Scott, thank you so much for being here. This has been a conversation I've been really looking forward to and also a little bit, not nervous, but a little bit of trying to find my own uh, levels of what I wanted to share with you and be open about because when we're talking about our little ones, it can be a really tricky line. Yes. No, I completely agree. Firstly, hello. You're super excited to be here. Um, yeah, you're, the amount that we share of our kids, it's you know, everybody kind of has their own very different limits and kind of own different rules. I mean, we as a family, you know, sat down and figured out our rules for what we would share about our son. Um, so yeah, maybe we can have a chat about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So for people that don't know, you are a best-selling author. Recently, I've discovered you on social media where you are just absolutely redefining what it is to be a man, uh, what masculinity is, crushing gender stereotypes and doing it so parents can really relate and try and adapt what you're saying to their lives and to their kids and how we parent because it's such a different world than when we were kids. It really is. I mean, I know when I was growing up, I grew up in an environment with extremely rigid gender stereotypes, despite the fact that my 
you know, I know at least my mum would claim to be extremely progressive, you know, but progressive of the 80s is quite mm. different to progressive of the 2020s, you know. Yeah. Um, and so I grew up with, you know, very uh, strong expectations around what masculinity was, what manhood was. Uh, I remember one of the only conversations I had with my father about you know, what it means to be a man is when I have hairs on my chest, that's when I'm a man. Yes. You know, and I, I don't know if that's necessarily accurate. Um, and you, know, my, my dad and I have, a, we have a really amazing, loving relationship. And yet at the same time, you know, I struggle to say the words, I love you to him. And it's uncomfortable when we do that because, you know, we grew up not really expressing our emotions and I struggle I like I talk to my son all the time about him being free to express his emotions and yet I still struggle because I have 37 years of you know conditioning telling me not to you know even the, the like my beliefs and my behavior have a gap you know so um yeah it's it's a definitely a very different time from when we were growing up that's for sure yeah, definitely. And I think like coming from a woman's perspective, I always had that really cuddling, nurturing relationship with my dad, who was always, you know, the very stereotypical big, like my dad's a very, very tall, big man, ex-footballer, the whole work so that we would cuddle up on his lap and feel, you know, safest place in the whole world. And now we're, we're bringing a whole new light to things because, you know, my husband didn't have that relationship with his dad and he's now you know, say my husband's ex-military and ex-police and things like that as well. So it's him trying to break that down. And like you said, behavior, mimic what's in your mind and what you believe, because it's really difficult. You say all of these things and you listen to the podcast and you read the articles and you're like, yeah, that's the way I'm going to parent. And then you put in a position and you just go, oh God, and you just revert back to the comfortable and the safe. I think we can all as parents acknowledge that the things that we said we weren't going to do as parents, like, <laughs> we have all done, you know, most of them. McDonald's uh, drive through <laughs> Yeah, we've, we've all done the iPad. We've all done the McDonald's. You know, we've all yeah. done that sort of stuff. Um, but tackling really ingrained cultural conditioning around mm. our identity is extraordinarily difficult. So uh, my son, when he was about three or four years old, he fell completely in love with Queen Elsa from Frozen. And, uh, you know, he had, he wanted all the costumes and all the merchandise and all those sorts of things. And when he first wanted to wear the Elsa dress, to wear the Elsa costume, you know, I was very supportive and accepting externally, mm -hmm. but Internally, I was really uncomfortable, you know, because I mean, I still remember like as a kid, you know, we were playing dress ups. I was, I put on one of my mum's dresses. There was nothing behind it, you know, it was just we were having fun dressing up and I got spanked, you know, when my parents wow. came home. Um, I, you know, my, my family is like, I love my family, but we would win Olympic gold medals if you could, if the Olympics held judgment contest you yeah. know there's a yeah. lot of judgment in uh in my family and so when my son first wanted to you know wear you know, dresses and things like that I was wildly uncomfortable just because of the conditioning 
that I grew up with. Mm. But the feelings that we have can be separate from our behaviors. So I, you know, I said to my son, you know, yes, let's you you can wear whatever you want. Let's do it. Let's have fun internally struggling, you know, but got over it. Then once uh, he wanted to actually break the comfort zone of our of the four walls of our house mm-hmm. and go outside where the world can now judge both him and me, you know, again, externally, super supportive, super accepting. Let's do you know, whatever you want to do. Let's have fun internally walking down the street thinking that every single person was judging me as a parent, you know, really, really struggling with that perceived judgment, despite the fact that everybody was really beautifully accepting and loving and kind, you know, I would look at one person looking at us and in my head, I'm like, oh, they're judging me as a father. They're judging him. You know, I have to like look even more man. So I'd like puff up my chest and walk down the street even with more of a strut (laughs) and just ridiculous things like that. And so um, breaking that generational conditioning is really, really, really hard. And for me, I struggled with it until I saw the incredible joy that my son was experiencing. Like I remember he was putting on that Elsa dress for the first time and I was feeling really uncomfortable and I wouldn't even be able to describe why I was feeling uncomfortable. Maybe it was mm. fear that maybe he, you know, is this something that now he's going to get persecuted for? Is this something that I'm going to be judged for as a dad? You know, it was all these different feelings kind of just thrown into just general discomfort. But then when he put that dress on and he's, his face just lit up with this joy that I just had never seen in him before. Immediately it's like, well, do I remove this complete joy from my child just so I'm a little bit more comfortable mm. or do I have to update you know, my internal compass? You know, so that made it a little bit easier for me, but bridging that gap between conditioning and how we're actually raising our kids, you know, that's I think the number one challenge for us as parents. Yeah, I agree. Talk to me about the transition from it's okay at home to we're walking out the front door because obviously as parents, we don't want our kids to be overly different. You know, you just kind of want your kids to plod along, to be happy, to be accepted, to fit in. You know, you don't want your kids to face hardships and we know that they're going to and we know that we all did and it builds resilience and you know all of that in your mind. But as a parent, you just want them to have an easy go at life. So, our little boy is seven and has gone through very similar things to Colin. Um, and, you know, Frozen came out. And I think that was the time when a lot of kids sort of started to push the boundaries a little bit and to, you know, to change because Disney had rewritten their script. I know. And Elsa's just so cool. I mean, she's, she's magic. So cool. she's, you know, how can you not like it? Yep. And they're two strong women saving the day. And it was, you know, all of us and we all wanted to see it as parents. So we encouraged it and things as well. But he then, you know, if we've always had, we've got three boys and our dress ups are full of both gendered clothing. But whenever he, we would then go out I would just naturally go, oh, mate, go get changed. We're going to go out now because it just, there's just that fear of letting him walk out those front doors and of what the world is going to say or what they're going to do to him. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'll go to two points you said. Firstly, about the wanting our kids to not be too different. This is a byproduct of how we grew up. When we grew up, there were only 
certain amount of seats on the cool table. You know, there was that one table at high school where those kids were the cool kids and we all wanted to be like them. And there was only those certain celebrities and we all wanted to be like them. Now there's a hundred tables at high school with, with all different cool kids, different in their own way, cool in their own way. You know, the internet has allowed us to look up to 1980s inspired crochet, like if you're into that version of different, you know, mm-hmm. or into real mainstream different. So uh, different now is a really, really, um, <laughs> to repeat the word different, you know, from, from when we were growing up. Now we just need to look for the tables that we mm-hmm. fit at rather than when we were growing up, we had to change ourselves to fit at that one table you know different is accessible now different is accessible and different is cool you know i mean that's where everybody's kind of realizing that the more unique and individual you are the more you can bring to the table the more you can bring to the world and i know the next generation is certainly one that celebrates difference but about the wanting them to you know not be too different because of the perhaps persecution that they may face. Uh, This is definitely something I relate to um, because, I mean, that's the number one fear is, and whenever you're literally anything I post on social media, there's almost always somebody who writes, you know, what if they get bullied? You know, uh, my, my son wants to wear a dress. What if they get bullied? My daughter wants to play soccer. What if they get bullied? Hopefully in 2021, that second one is not a conversation Mm -hmm. we need to have anymore, but it's still something that pops up on my socials like every single day. So apparently it is, um, you know, and I would say, yes, there definitely is the possibility that, you know, if your child is different from, you know, the, the cultural norm of the environment they are in, you know, because every environment is different. Every school has different expectations around gender, all those sorts of things. But if they are different from the environment, the culture that they are in, there is definitely, of course, the possibility of some form of persecution, of some form of discomfort. Yeah. Uh, but... There is also the possibility that they'll be completely accepted for exactly who they are and how they express themselves. And with that, be able to save themselves 40 years of therapy and self-help books trying to figure out how to express themselves, you know, and how to get back to exactly who they are. That doesn't diminish the fact that there is the possibility of persecution. And I am really, really strong in preparing your child for that. Mm. You know, but also this is a statement that's born of privilege. You know, but you know, if I was in a job where I am being persecuted for who I am, if I'm being bullied, if I have the ability to, I'm gonna leave that job. You know, and same thing for our kids. You know, if they are in a really toxic environment, and you have the ability to get them out of that environment, why not? You know, one of the things that we speak about as you know, my wife and I is uh, we were having a, um, a conversation recently about changing schools for my son. 
you know, only because we'd kind of done a bit of a, a, a sea change you know, for a few months and we'd, we'd changed schools and it wasn't really working out. It was a lot more conservative school. And uh, you know, we were having this conversation and saying, you know, do we, should we focus on him just kind of having to deal with the realities that there are people who are going to pick on him if he expresses himself differently? And uh, we came to the conclusion, like, yeah, but we can also remove him from that environment too. Mm-hmm. So we basically said, all right, so we're changing schools um, to one where we already know you're accepted and you have a bunch of friends and people love you for who you are. So we're changing schools back to that school. Um, but we're doing that in two weeks at the end of term. So you've got two free weeks that you can, like, learn about like how other people may you express their own insecurities and discomfort and you can build some resilience knowing that we're leaving Mm. (laughs) you know there's an out Uh, yeah Yeah. you know so um and again that is there's enormous privilege in being able to do that because that's not what everybody can do and if you can't do that you at the very least you can find an environment at least one environment where the child is supported and accepted exact for exactly who they are. There's this um, incredible research around uh, like LGBTQ youth um, and uh, the rates of suicide. And one of the things that happens is when they have nobody, no environment where they are supported and loved for exactly who they are, the suicide rates are at a certain level but then if they just have one single person who accepts them and loves them for exactly who they are that suicide rate is you know a quarter of what it was you know beforehand so just finding one environment where they are accepted and loved maybe it's on the weekend they go to a drama class maybe it's you know there's you know if if it's a girl i can't believe i'm talking about a girl liking sports as this like breaking gender stereotypes in 2021 but i get this like literally all the time so um you're know, going to uh like a more kind of mixed gender you know, sporting team maybe yeah. it's just having that one aunt or something who like lets them be exactly who they are free of judgment yeah but yeah not to diminish the risk of persecution and the destructiveness of bullying and now online bullying. Um, Mm. But there are things we can do to prepare and alleviate some of those problems. Such a great point. One of my most favourite quotes is one by Ella Nost. When little people are overwhelmed by big emotions, it's our job to share our calm and not join in their chaos. I realized as my kids grew and began to have big emotions that I needed to have some go-to methods ready for when their emotions were so big that they triggered me to react instead of to respond to them. This thought process comes under the buzzword mindfulness. Enter the Ouchie Pouchie, created by two Aussie mums, this feel-good cold pack provides the calm in the chaos. It's a fabric cold pack filled with rice, eco-friendly, no plastic, no gel, And the pattern features lots of little pictures, which becomes a game for our kids. It's a tool to try and center our emotions while helping our child through a big moment. So how do we use it? Let's say little Finny falls over and hurts his leg. His reaction is big, big tears and loud screeching cries. 
I go and grab the ouchie pouchy from my freezer, take a few really big intentional breaths to center myself, then return to him, pop the cold pack on his saw for some relief. Now let's play. I play a game of can you find the dog? Can you find the train? To allow him to comfort his saw with the cold, but to keep his little mind busy on the task, holding space for him to calm his emotions back down. This really is a must-have parent tool in a parent's toolkit. Use the code TCP10 at mamafox.com.au to receive 10% off your ouchie pouchie, the feel-good cold pack. My son is one of those kids that is quite literally the world. He loves everything. and. People online that we've faced, because um, my husband and I obviously both blog and yep. that can bring, as you know, people out of the woodworks. <laughs> and they have such an issue with him, you know, that he pretty much only wears pink. It's his favourite colour in the whole world. Um, but he will wear a pink jersey and a pink helmet whilst competing in motocross. And yep. that just blows their mind, you know, that he could take his Elsa doll with him to motocross and then <laughs> go and do that. Like he just sees the world as everything is accessible to him and everything is open. So we were in Smiggle in kindergarten and he was tossing up between a race car pencil case, which was like a full car looking like it would sit on your desk, or the bright pink unicorn thing with fluffy keychains and the whole works. And he's tossing up between the two of them. And it's funny because my middle child's looking at him going like, I would rather poke my eyes out than put a dress on. (laughs) Or I would rather he's, you know, I'm going to put that pencil case in the bin because he just, you know, couldn't think of anything worse. And Knox was going back and forwards. And the pull in me was to say to him, get the car, get the car, get the car. Like it's kindergarten. We don't know yet what it's going to be like. Um, And I'm sort of really trying to stay out of it. And then I felt like I needed to say to him, Nox, some kids think that pink and unicorns and fluffy pink balls are girls' things. And if you take this to school, somebody might say to you, that's a girl's pencil case. And you need to feel confident and comfortable to tell them, colors are for everybody. This, I can have this pencil case if I want to. And, you know, and you need to feel like, you need to be sure that you can do that and that you will be okay and that that won't break your heart, you know, because he's such an emotional kid too and he'll clutch his heart and say, you've broken my heart if his brother's mean to him. I can feel it throbbing. So I'm like, you know, you need to know that if this happens, you need to be ready for it, you know. So, and he ended up taking the girl's pencil case to school, girl's pencil case, you know, and um, and then a little girl said something, you can't have that, that's a girl's pencil case. And and he sort of went, oh, colours are for everyone. And his little best mate who um, is very, very stereotypical boy um, jumped in and went, Knox likes it, so I think it's cool and stuck up for him. And the awesome. te- yeah, yeah, and the teacher made a real thing about it as well. So it was a really positive outcome, but... I was terrified all day knowing he had gone (laughs) off, you know. So what are some things that you give Colin to arm him with a little bit of, like what does he actually do in those circumstances? Yeah, so look, this is a conversation and especially now, like my son is eight um, and so, you know, we've definitely hit the point where he understands that there are gender stereotypes in the world. He understands that there are, you know, perceived, differences between you know the things that people can like um and you know they also recognize you know I, I always kind of look at like young kids and they are the epitome of 
wanting fairness in the world. <laughs> you know, that's all they want. They just want things to be fair. You know, they uh, a boy, you know, they don't necessarily want to be able to do things that are girl things. They all just want to be able to do all things without categories and labels being put on them. They want to yeah. be able to wear Batman, but sparkly, you know, yeah. they, they just want to be able to do the things, you know, so kind of removing those categories. But here's a few things that we do with Colin. So the first is that we are constantly exposing him to a really, really diverse set of characters, heroes, idols for him to look up to, people who look like him, people who look nothing like him, people who like the things that he likes, people who don't like the things that he likes, you know, and will often lean a little more into the things that you know, he likes. Like we show him uh, Billy Porter, you know, we've got a great friend uh, here, Denny, star by Denny on Instagram, you know, who is non-binary and, you know, loves like huge dresses and things like that. So we show uh, Colin a lot of them and we're constantly like broadening his exposure and his comfort level with all different kinds of people because it's really hard to feel safe enough to be yourself if you're not seeing this wide variety of Mm -hmm. people because if you're only seeing the one kind of person, even though your parents are saying to you, be yourself, you know, be an individual, you're Mm -hmm. like, okay, that's great, but there's literally nobody but this one kind of thing, so I have to be that. So yeah. we are constantly you know, diversifying his bookshelf, his media, and all those sorts of things. The second thing is we have really, really honest yet age-appropriate conversations with him. So, uh, And we, we tend not to prescribe actions for him to take. Mm-hmm. We talk about how these same experiences are reflected in our own lives, what we've done, what we haven't done, mistakes we've made. Um, So one of the things that we do all the time is uh, he and I have a session called Ask Dad Anything. And it's this kind of like semi-formal session where uh, we sit down and he just has a space to literally ask me anything and talk about anything. And it opens up so many things that we would usually never have the space in our day-to-day life to actually talk about. Like he... You know, has asked me, obviously, why are the clouds you know, up there? Why is the sky blue? All those sorts of things. But he also asked me, why don't you cry? That was when he asked me, what does it actually, you know, what does being a real man mean? You know, because mm-hmm. he'd heard that term. Um, he's asked me why people don't like the fact that he wears, you know, that he sometimes likes to wear a dress. Yeah. You know, he's asked me, you know, tons of questions around gender that we would usually have never even realized that he understood any of this stuff, mm. you know. And this is going back a few years, you know, at five, six years old, he was asking some of these questions where I was like, he's not even young enough to understand that people are, you know, but he's asking me these questions and I'm going, okay, maybe he is, you know. Yeah. Um, and so he asks these questions and we uh, firstly just talk about, we really lean into times where we have struggled to do the thing that we would like to tell him to do. Yeah. So if he's saying to us, um, you know, I am afraid of having my painted nails at school today, 
Um, cause he loves like really beautiful painted nails. Um, uh, you know, if he's afraid of doing that, you know, we will talk about, or I will talk about, uh, okay, here's times where I have like when we've painted nails together and then I've had a TV interview the next day and I've literally sat, you know, like in my bed going, should I leave them on? Should I take them off? Like, yeah. I, what do I do? And having kind of all this fear around it over something that like sits under the camera view anyway yeah. and you can't see so i'll talk to him about you know here's how i felt in a really similar situation i was really scared and you know at that time i took the nail polish off because i was afraid of what people might think you know and then i'll say and then here's this other time where I left the nail polish on you know, and i want to tell you to be brave enough to wear the nail polish but I completely understand and kind of see you if you don't want to. Um, And when he is given the freedom to choose rather than being forced into bravery, Mm. (laughs) when he's being given the freedom to choose, he almost always chooses the thing that he really wants to do. Every now and then he chooses the thing like he, he, like myself, like my wife, like all of us, succumb to the fear sometimes you know and you know for us it's less about like you can't do that you've got to you know be brave and it's more about okay yeah I succumbed to the fear too last week you're like here's how I have kind of picked myself up and I'm gonna try again next time you know and so it's just that pure kind of supportive conversations that allow him to know that whether or not you know, and this is such a bad term for this, but it's all my brain can think of right now. But you know, if he fails to you know, be himself, yeah, it's okay, you know, because mm-hmm. there is tomorrow, you know. Mm-hmm. And so having that freedom, you know, free from judgment allows him to more consistently pick himself. Um, so yeah, diversifying his media, giving him the space to be himself, and we also have an extraordinarily and this is has been difficult for me because of my upbringing around judgment we have an extraordinarily judgment free house we never speak about anybody's looks we never speak about anybody in a way that is judging or degrading or anything mm-hmm. like that we you know anytime it pops up in tv you know we pause the show or movie we're watching and we talk about we say gee that's not very good is it you know and now like he will stop you know he watches the movie he goes oh i can't believe they said that about that person you know because it's just our household is so accepting of whoever you are and however you come you know and so having those three things gives him the confidence to be who he is and it gives him the support when he doesn't have the ability to. On that, like I have three boys and you've obviously got boys. I think the fact that like going back to saying how you were linking, the only sort of thing we can link girls to that's di- you know different to the norm is sport because I feel like I am so pro-feminism and pro-women can do everything. I'm actually an ex-cop of 12 years and, you know, I was only one of the only women police when I started in our station. You know, I was surrounded by men. Um, And I feel like we have such a push at the moment that girls can do everything, be anyone and anybody that piped up and said, oh, your daughter shouldn't be playing soccer, football, whatever, we would 
absolutely crushed down, yet we're not giving our boys that same freedom and we're still holding them to such a stereotype and linking them you know, with if they want to wear dresses or nail polish, we're linking that with their sexuality. At very young ages, they become, well, they're gay or they're a girl, as in less than, because we're still using those terms as a less than. It's just, it's like we've We've got it for the girls. We're just not quite there yet with the boys. Well, we're getting there for the girls. I mean, you know, mm. I didn't realise. Like, I'll be honest, I thought that we had you know, not necessarily solved the problem, but we've mm. had this conversation for girls, you know, where all of, like, we're all Since pushing. Since I was young. Yeah, we're pushing, yeah. you know, female empowerment. We're pushing girls can be and do anything and yet, like, literally every second or third message on my Instagram is a generally a mother, you know, saying how they struggled to allow their daughter to do these certain things and would always kind of push them into a uh, more feminine approach or that the dad is really against mm. just the general empowerment of their daughters. Um, there's this one that really stands out to me always was I did this video about um, – how I sometimes up while I'm reading them, I update children's books sometimes and I'm <laughs> reading them and I make them slightly more empowering, you know. And one of the things I, you know, do is a lot of your know, books is like once upon a time there was a beautiful princess. And I'm like, who cares if she's beautiful? Just like there was a princess, you know? And so I'll be like, once upon a time there was a really smart princess or once upon a time there was a princess who was allergic to shellfish, you know, Um, just something relevant, you know. Um, And one of of my community kind of wrote to me and said that she did the exact same thing. And when she did that, her husband, her ex-husband, sorry, would yell at her and say, not everything needs to be so damn political. Just read the, you know, effing book. Um, and, you know, but you ask that dad in any moment, do you want your daughters to be empowered? And he would say, yeah, of course. But taking mm. the actions is a completely different thing. And he's uncomfortable for no, he doesn't even know why he's uncomfortable. Mm. Um, so girls, we're getting there. We're not there yet. You know, there's yeah. still a lot of work to do. Um, but boys, yeah, we... Definitely in our, you know, kind of Western culture, we have this ideal that, you know, if something is masculine, it is better than mm. feminine, you know, and we assign so many ridiculously arbitrary things, these genders that, you know, make no sense, you know, yeah. um, having emotions is feminine, you know, um, expressing yourself is, you know, feminine, you know, telling your kids that you love them is feminine, you know, um, just things that are just parts of our natural human experience. Mm. Um, and, you know, one of the things that we are often teaching our sons is that, you know, they have all this power, but the only way they can have that power is if they have power over somebody else. Um, and they don't have this inherent internal power just for their exist, just because of their existence, mm-hmm. you know, and that's causing enormous, enormous problems in the world where some men are struggling because they are, 
you know, losing some of the external power that they think they have and so are lashing out at, you know, everybody that they feel like they should have power over. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I have seen everything from, you know, we generally think of dads being the ones to uphold really kind of toxic masculine values, Mm -hmm. um, but that's not totally the case you know it's uh parents grandparents uphold this i remember you know being at the at a children's hospital and i was walking past a gift shop and uh a mother was saying to the sales assistant um you know do you have any boys balloons you know and the assistant said yeah i've got this marvel one it's got iron man and hulk and thor and you know yeah and the mum said no no one for boys and the the assistant was like um, I mean, this is pretty much as boy as it gets, you know. And the mum said, no, no, because it has, like, Black Widow, the one female character. She's <laughs> the down there in the corner, you know. So, um, mm. I, you know, I can't have – that's not for boys. I need one without any women on it. And, you know, and Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, if you could expect that from anybody, oh. you would expect it from a mega toxic dad. But instead, it was from, you know, a mum, you know. And um, so it's kind of coming from all corners in really, really subtle ways. I think my next question has to be, because I'm sure there's a lot of people listening and the majority of my audience um, and my husband's audience, interestingly, is like 97% women, right? Yeah, and, me too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and I'm only like, I'm so positive that people literally say to me, okay, I'm going to play this um, podcast tomorrow in the car with my husband so that he has to hear it because he won't listen to it, but I want him to hear what you're saying. So I know there's going to be a lot of women in particular that will be like, yes, Scott, everything you're saying, I'm loving it, I'm here for it, but my other half is just so not on board or so the other way that, you know, if I said, oh, yeah, you know, Knox can wear his um, nail polish or whatever and, you know, that my husband will just go, whoa, no, he can't do that. How... Were you like that at one stage? How are you so, I don't want to say progressive because that's really sad, but, <laughs> you know, it is that you are progressive. You're not You're not every single man. So um, how do we get them on board? So the, the biggest struggle is performative masculinity, mm. um, and that is that, you know, we are as men able to be fully ourselves only when there's nobody else watching and there's no possibility of anybody else watching. Um, and so giving a man, you need to listen to this, you know, because of your belief systems and we need to, you know, you're toxic. And so we need to like, <laughs> yeah. you know, it, it's, it's not going to work. Like, no. I'm, I wish it did, but I'm sorry, it's not going to work. Finding ways to get men out of performative masculinity is like the only way to start a conversation. That's not the whole conversation. It's just starting the conversation. And really great ways to do that are to have, to sit down, to organize a time, to sit down and say, what beliefs do we want our child to grow up with? You know, do you want you know, our son to grow up, I don't know, like repressing their emotions? And it's almost <laughs> like guaranteed that they'll probably say, no, no you know, yeah. and then it's the okay. Well, if we don't want that, you know, and this isn't just like an interrogation of them. Mm. This is a two-way conversation because you know, 
women are upholding your know, toxic masculinity as well. Like it comes yeah. from both sides. You know? So um, it's having this conversation. What are the beliefs that you as a family unit can agree that you want to uphold, even though you're going to do it imperfectly? You as a family, what beliefs and expressions and all those sorts of things do you want to uphold? Okay, so now that we have that, we have a guidepost, like a keystone that we can return to when our conditioning kicks us out of that. You know, uh, if I didn't have this guidestone of I want my son to be able to express himself fully. I want him to be accepted for exactly who he is. If I didn't have that, it's really easy for me to return to, well, this makes me uncomfortable. No, you can't do that. Mm. You know, And I have this ideal that I imperfectly always return to. You know? And so it's figuring out you know, what do we actually want? Because the thing about cultural conditioning and like you almost like brainwashing that we go through to integrate us into society is it only survives being kept in the dark. Like it can't survive being brought to the light because as soon as you bring it into the light and say, all right, you do you want our son to grow up with this belief system and this belief system? Do you want them to be against these people? And do you want them to repress themselves? Like we don't want those things to happen. And then the next part of that conversation is obviously, okay, well, what behaviors can we, actually instill in them and what behaviors can we model and how are we struggling to model that right now you know once we have those conversations like our conditioning it it like it's going I, I won't lie it's going to be an incredibly possibly uncomfortable conversation that you might need to return to a couple of times because these things are so deeply ingrained and so such a huge part of our identity that hitting them face to, you know, coming face to face with them can be really, really challenging. But just by having that conversation and becoming a, just a 5% more intentional around what you would like to create in your child and having that conversation with your partner, uh, you're taking possibly one of the biggest steps, you know, that can be taken because you're bringing things into the light. And so from then, just because you brought them into the light, behaviors are going to be slightly different. Wow. That is so powerful, Scott. Like, I hope you know how powerful that is because that's just made something that seems so impossible and so overwhelming. Really, you've really broken that down and given people a really, a good step forward. Like, thank you. what an answer. <laughs> And I think with everything is the more you do it, it gets easier. Like I, you know, the more you say, yeah, okay, you can wear that or yeah, you look great and, you know, try and remove yourself from, you know, going back to our conditioning. It, you sort of, it gets easier the next time and easier the next time. And I know you said with Colin, it was when you noticed the joy in him. And I'm so guilty of doing all of this. And, you know, in the last probably month before we've had this conversation, I feel like I really failed Knox twice. And once was we were in Kmart and they were allowed to pick a toy and he picked up the nail polish set um, in the kids thing. And I, I didn't outly say no, but I consciously directed him to something that I knew he would probably pick instead, you yeah. know. So 
<laughs> I with a very clear intention of yeah. I didn't want him to pick that. And I like I said, I have three boys, and two of them have picked up like the most stereotypical boyish thing you can think of. And then I've got this beautiful little boy who's dressed all in pink from the boys section. You know, like I I shop um, at Gander and places like that that have really beautiful colors of the rainbow clothes for both you know both genders and very very unisex now. But it was a very intentional thing on my part, and it I've kept thinking about it. Um, and the second time was literally just two days ago when we were in Cotton On. And I was picking out pajamas for his brothers, and he picked up the girl bunny from Space Jam in the girls section, which is you know bright Lola. pink and yep. yes, Lola, and all the things. And and I'm standing there with the Marvel ones for the other two, going like, oh. And I just anyway, they ended up not having his size, and I was so relieved, um, which is awful. And, you know, and yeah. like you said, I, I totally agree with you on absolutely everything. And I know that if my niece was with me and she picked the Marvel ones up, I would not, I would have probably pushed her towards the Marvel, you know, where, where <laughs> yeah, with him, yeah. I'm pushing the other way. But we were then, um, we were in the car yesterday and I was researching for this episode and I popped your reading of My Shadow is Pink on in my car so that you would talk through my car and I handed my phone to Knox and he was watching you read the story and he watched it and I literally had tears in my eyes and then he just looked at me and he goes, Mum, My Shadow's Pink too, isn't it? And I... <laughs> My, I literally took my breath away and then he's like, play it again. So I did and he played it again and then he just, he said, my shadow is definitely pink. I like all of those things and daddy's shadow is definitely blue. And I said, oh, but you know your dad loves you no matter what colour your shadow is, don't you? And he goes, I know, mum. Play it again. And I will never forget that moment. That has stuck with me and I've, I swore to do better, you know, from that moment because I could see it in his eyes and him asking me for that acceptance. Like he was testing my level of acceptance right yeah. then on what he could and couldn't do. I mean, that is so beautiful. Um, I, I, sadly, saying that you failed them is a really harsh judgment. <laughs> you were just human, you know, um, dealing with your own things. You know, And I think sometimes as parents we try to maintain this kind of like almost holy kind of perfect picture for our mm -hmm. kids you know but one of the most healing things that we can do for our kids is just to show them just how human we are and kind of acknowledge our the the struggles that we have um but i will say one thing um and this is not meant as judgment in any way um you know, it's it's one like when you are pushing that away from, you know, say pushing, say like pink or something away from one child and you, the other kids are kind of there and they all have kind of the, you know, the stereotypical boy things. Mm. It's not just impacting like the kid. It's also reinforcing to the other three, you know, that there's something wrong, you know? Mm. Um, so it's kind of like this much larger effect, you know, than we even think of. But, you know, just like I was saying, like being human, like it's something that we can easily just say, you know what, like I uh, I didn't do a great job there, you know, yeah. and the kids, and that's where even the other three kids will probably be like, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. Know? Um, and just removing that expectation of perfectionism, you know, just makes life so much easier as a parent. 
Yeah, I love that. And we do it in all the other aspects of, you know, we yell or lose our temper. And the first, you know, we've always maintained that we aren't perfect and that we, you know, we explain to our kids, yeah, mommy and daddy had an argument because we get cranky at each other too, just like you and Finn do. And then we say sorry. And, you know, we we deal with things respectfully, even though we're really cranky or I yelled at you and I shouldn't have yelled at you. That was actually not about you. It was about mommy was stressed about this. You know, we, we open those conversations. So I think it's just opening it with this sort of angle. And I can see that as he gets older, he'll be eight in November. So they're quite quite similar to your son. I think as we get older, he's starting to do little things and ask little things and to to test us and to see how far he can get away with it. And obviously boys clothing these days is pretty awesome. Like with places like Gander and Cotton On, you can get a lot of like he lives in tie-dyes and pinks. Even the surf shops are full of pink clothes of boys with cool birds and flamingos and um but it's just that one that neck and he knows now that he's allowed to do that obviously and that we're going to be supportive of that and not really think twice where I think he's now starting to push that next level which we need to keep up and and support him through <laughs> yeah I mean I mean you know here's the thing, like, a lot of parents think you know, well this might be a lifetime thing it could be you know, or it could be just today you know, um, but do you want your kids to know that you accept them for exactly who they are or that there are conditions assigned to it? I mean, that's possibly the harshest description of that, but, uh, you know, I think sometimes that's what it just comes down to. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think that's a really lovely way to end and I'm so grateful for your time and it's something that's so close to our family at the moment as well. So it was such great timing and you are doing the most incredible things. We'll link all of the links to your books and um, Instagram handles and you're on TikTok as well. We'll put all of that in the show notes so that people can follow along. And I feel like sharing a little Instagram video or one of your cool little reels where you spoke, one of them was about, um, you asked, you know, what makes a real man and what makes a good men and different oh, okay. um, yep. different comments people wrote in. I think that, you know, women that may be listening and thinking, how do I start broaching this with my husband? They're really, really good little segues into things because, you know, anyone would look at them and go, oh, of course that makes sense. A good man is all of those things. So it's such a great talking point to open those conversations if you're a little bit nervous or a little bit unsure on how to do so. I love that. And thank you so much for having me on. I have really, really enjoyed the conversation. No, you're amazing. You're doing amazing things. Thanks for tuning in today. I would love to continue the conversation with you over on Instagram at the Conscious Project Podcast. Hit subscribe so you don't miss our next episode. And I would be so grateful if you would take a moment to leave me a five-star review. It really does help. Take care.